I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You're listening to Muses. My name is Lynx, and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome back to Muses. This is the podcast all about the wonderful women of rock and roll, of music, all different genres, really. Behind the scenes, on the stage, we cover everything here. Welcome back. It's been a while. Took a little bit of a break. I needed it. I had some personal things happen. If you're a listener and you've been around for a while, you know that Shanti and I both have cats that we love dearly, and my cat, C.K. Dexter Haven, passed away just before Christmas, and so that was a rough go, and yeah, I just needed some time to heal from that. Happy to be back, though, and I'm very happy to be back with Shanti for this episode because it's been a while, and yeah, I just, I wanted, you know, I wanted you to be back with me for this because I needed, I needed this. So mm -hmm. thank you for joining me again. It's really, it makes me so happy and I was so excited to do it and to set up my microphone. And when you were saying the internet, I got goosebumps. So yeah, I absolutely love that you're inviting me into this space and I'm just I, I love I love it and I love being here and I love seeing you and I'm so sorry about CK I'm gonna miss that seeing that guy's tail over zoom walking across your desk <laughs> but you know forever forever in our hearts yes absolutely and thank you so much for that beautiful bouquet of flowers that you sent me and my dad we both loved that and it really made the entire apartment smell beautiful. And it's funny because, you know, with CK, I've never had plants around mm -hmm. because I'm too worried about him getting into them. So that was the first time I've actually had like a plant in here and it was like perfect for that. And um, now we're actually like, let's get some plants in here because it definitely livens up the room. What you know, it makes idea. you feel better. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I started 
um, I got two plants for my birthday as well. I feel like over the years I was never really the one like that cared for plants. And I don't know, like I'm trying to put some dots together. I don't know if it has something to do with like ADHD, like just forgetting to water them and things like that. But um, I'm kind of at this point where like I do, like I do want to contribute to the plants in our house and not just have TJ be the one that's like, taking care of them and we lost a lot of plants in our move especially when we were living in that trailer for the for the one summer they just like it was hard on all the plants with all of the different weathers so now that you know we're halfway through winter and already dreaming about spring I'm, I'm thinking about yeah like having plants and thinking about our garden or planning for a bigger and even better garden this year so how's Chester, Callie, and Dale doing? Well, Chester and Callie are right behind me. Aww. So Chester's on the chair <laughs> and Callie's on the ottoman right next to him. Love it. They're doing great. Uh, Chester's going to be 15 this year. I have no idea how old Callie is, but as long as she gets her wet food in the morning, she's happy. And uh, yeah, Dale's doing fantastic. He's still going to daycare once a week and he's just downstairs sleeping right now. As always, if you hear, you know, dog barking, it's because somebody's walking by and he's guarding the house. Everyone's great. Yeah. And how have you been doing? Wonderful. Um, I remember when, when I said like, was it like last July that I just needed some time for myself and I just needed to like shut almost like shut down and hibernate a little bit um, with like my own creativity and I told myself I'm not gonna look for another project I'm I just can't I don't want to start something new I have no idea what that's gonna be but I'm just gonna wait it out and whatever comes to me that makes me feel inspired is like when I'll start to create again so five months went by and I didn't do anything creative really and I think that's what I needed um in order to refresh and I just kind of put my head down I went to work I was just working really hard and then I got inspired by an Instagram post and it was for like somebody that I know had crocheted this beautiful 70s inspired jumper and then I saw another one by the same creator that was a 70s inspired halter top and so I went to the store and I bought a hook and I have crocheted every day since yeah you've been making so many cool things like so fast too you're so quick at it and you have your Instagram account now yeah yeah, I started a separate Instagram account just for the things that I'm making. And it's just Shanti, my name, and then Crochet. The things you make are amazing, honestly. Like, I'm so impressed. And yes, you're wearing I'm, one right I'm now, wearing, right? I yeah, love it. Uh, I love it. A top that I made. I wanted to make it a long sleeve, but I didn't have enough yarn. And uh, I don't want to order the stuff. I only ordered it because the store that I go to was closed one day. So I had to order something online. But I'm trying to support my local yarn store. So it looks great. And I love the color schemes that you do. Like they're really impressive. You, You keep pumping them out. My God. I know. Well, that's the beauty of crochet is that you can do it while you're doing other things. Like if we have... Like, my brother came over for my birthday, and we were all sitting in the living room listening to music, chatting, and I'm crocheting because you you can. I used to knit sometimes, but I never made anything impressive enough to, like, put on and wear outside, so I'm very impressed with you. <laughs> I used to knit, too, and I find crochets easier, or it's, like, more forgiving. Yeah. It, you can, yeah. So, for me, like, crochet just works better for me and, like, the speed at which I can pump things out because then you get that rush of, like, okay, this thing is done. And then you can photograph it. And um, people have been asking me about selling certain things. People will message me and, and ask me, like, when is your Etsy shop opening? Or is this one for sale? Yeah. And I don't know if I'm ready to sell things yet because, one, you have to be ethical with your patterns like if I buy a pattern then it says right on it it's not for sale this is for personal use so what I guess what you'd kind of have to do is like you'd have to make a second one and you'd have to change it or you'd have to yeah you know not use the exact and and there are some things that are just like straightforward like the shirt here is just like a straightforward 
Raglan shirt, which means that it's built from the top down and it's been out there forever. This is nobody owns this pattern. So I could, I could technically sell this top, but the seventies halter top that I paid the pattern for is a little bit of a, no, that makes sense. Yeah. And you want to respect that you want to respect creators and then you want to make sure that like you're compensating yourself, but you also don't want to sell things for too low because then there are other people. Yeah. So it's, I'm not ready to sell yet, but I appreciate that people are asking. No, like that's a good thing to look into in the future if you want to keep doing it. But I totally understand and good for you for respecting other creators because a lot of people wouldn't even think about that, I don't think. so. Well, on the topic of good news and fun things, I here in my hands am holding the issue of Cosmopolitan UK, the February and March issue. Featuring yeah. Shanti and Lynx from Muses. And um, it's pretty, the article is pretty center in the magazine. I love it. The spread is gorgeous. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's like one, it takes up one, two, three, four, five, six pages. This was such a hard thing to keep secret. I've been wanting to tell listeners, but kept it a secret and now it's out it should be available wherever you get magazines yeah yeah the big like the big places like the chapters have the uk version of things which is nice um so Ooh. this one i got from the uk simeon sent it to me thank you simeon um yeah it's available this week and so thank you so much to katriana innes the author of this article who did such a beautiful job capturing the spirit of all of us. And, um, it's so truthful. It's so it's written in such, a um, just like respectful and loving way that, uh, I think it really captured all of us really beautifully. Yeah. When we were talking to her, I knew the article was going to be amazing because, it was just so easy to talk to her, so fun. She, you could tell that she really loved the subject matter that she was tackling here. And yeah, thank you so much for including us in that because what a great honor. What a cool thing to have happen. Yeah, my mom was over the day that Simeon screenshot all of the pages and sent them to me. So I read them kind of as a screenshot before I got a physical copy and I read it out loud to my mom and I was tearing up as I was reading it. Um, Especially this one, this one part. Should I read it? Yeah, please. I can see this in every groupie I speak to. They're all wonderful company. Faye, alongside being a model, has a first-class degree in philosophy and politics and is incredibly funny. Patty has such a deep grasp on history, constantly spouting facts that fascinate me, while Shanti and Lynx instantly make me feel like we're old friends. The common ground between all of them? They're unafraid to go after the lives and experiences that they really want. Ah, that's so beautiful, and thank you for that. Yeah, that's great. Uh. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of our very first intro as well for Muses. Yeah, you're right. Like, it's it's really a wild and, like, beautiful example of, uh, I guess, a kind of manifestation, if you want to use that word, but... For sure, or, like, a full circle type of thing. Mm. Because we're talking about the women that we're going to be talking about that go after what and who they want and make no apologies and then there's an article saying that we are doing that same thing so are you going to be talking about a woman today who went after what she wanted oh yeah I had been searching for this book for ages and it finally came up on this site that I love called thrift books Uh, check that out if you're looking for old books that you can't find. I found so many great ones. My next one I actually found on that too. So the book I'm doing, I'm covering Jerry Hall and her book aptly titled Tall Tales. (laughs) Uh, She has another book that she released a couple years ago. Uh, I've had trouble finding that as well. I think it's called My Life in Pictures. It sounds basically like this one because there are so many pictures it's like half pictures half biography or memoir beautiful but there's a lot yeah gorgeous pictures 
this one was published in 1985. So I'm going to obviously fill in some of the blanks from 85 to present day. But the chunk of it is from birth to that point. All right. Jerry Hall was born on July 2nd, 1956. She was actually a twin. So her name is Jerry Faye Hall. And her sister is Terry J. Hall. (laughs) (laughs) Jerry Faye and Terry J. They were the youngest of five daughters. They were raised in the Dallas suburb of Mesquite. So their mom was a very loving woman. She worked as a medical records librarian and her father was a truck driver. So her relationship with her dad is a pretty complicated one. He was an abusive man to all the women in the household. Jerry describes him as someone who was undereducated and always wanted more in life, but didn't really have the capacity to really achieve his goals. So he carried that kind of anger and frustration with him. Oh, yeah. And he took it out on the family. Yeah. Yeah. She does also say that he had good qualities as well. And growing up, she never really thought of it as an abusive household. It was just the way it was. And I think that actually happens with a lot of children. You don't know any better. You don't know any different. But their mother, very amazing, supportive woman. All the girls were really close with her, and they were all really close-knit as a family, like the sisters. Her mother also was very encouraging for all the girls to really go after their dreams. She would constantly tell them, you know, you can achieve anything you want. Go after it. Just like we say. <laughs> we're, we are everybody's mother. Jerry really did take that to heart as well. Everyone in the family worked really hard. By 11, Jerry had her first job. She was a babysitter. She had many odd jobs throughout her teenage years. She worked at a nursery, an old folks home, a stable. She really loved riding horses, and that continued throughout her life. She also worked at a Dairy Queen, but she got fired for giving away too many free French fries to her friends. (laughs) (laughs) One of her sisters was a model at a department store type of thing, and Jerry also did that for a time, but modeling wasn't quite yet on her radar. So we hear this with a lot of women who are, you know, stupidly good looking, that growing up, they did not feel attractive at all. She really describes herself as awkward, you know, taller than everyone else, flat chested. She had dirty blonde hair and she didn't think that was appealing on her. She also had, of course, a tomboy side to her. At school and in town, she was actually known as a champion leg wrestler. Right. Right? Like, how badass. She would bet the boys and make money, like, kicking their ass with her Amazonian gams. (laughs) (laughs) I can, I just have such a vivid picture of that in my mind. Oh, yeah. And that comes into play later. So remember that she's a champion leg wrestler. So all through high school, she never had a single boyfriend. Really frustrated her endlessly. She was, you know, learning about her own sexuality and wanting to explore that. But none of the guys could see her beauty yet, I guess, or none of them worked out. She had a best friend and they were always trying to get the boys' attention. And she mentions this one friend was very much fascinated with the Rolling Stones and in love with Mick Jagger. And this friend had a giant poster of Mick Jagger on the back of her door. So as like horny teenagers, they would like sit in her room and stare at Mick. Yeah. Yeah. And Jerry says she would have like, she had a sexual dream about him. And like, of course, little did she know he would be coming her way. Literally. That was low. That was great. That was great. I'm rusty, guys. Jerry and her friend ended up losing their virginity a week apart to the same guy when they were 15. Okay. They both just wanted to get it over with. He was a rodeo dude, and he blabbed to all the guys that he took their virginities. So they would get teased and yelled at by the men after that. So not the greatest experience, but great experiences are about to come her way. Jerry did well in school. She finished earlier than others. She was 16 when she was done. She was offered a scholarship to a college in Mesquite, but Jerry wasn't really sure about that path for herself. It was actually because of an accident, like literally, that Jerry ended up on the path that she did. 
her and three of her friends got into a very bad car accident and Jerry came away with a concussion. But while she was in the hospital, they gave her penicillin without asking if she was allergic. She had a terrible reaction and they had to pay her $800 as compensation for the incident. Okay. Her father insisted she give all the money to him. But she had other plans with it. She wanted to use it to achieve a dream of hers, which was to go to Paris. So she gets into a big fight with her dad. He gets physical with her. And her sister Terry ended up going after her dad with a knife and being like, don't you ever hit us again. And apparently he never did again. That's what it took. He still wanted the money, though. And Jerry with the help of her amazing mother, secretly planned a getaway to France. So in May of 1973, Jerry was on her way with her luggage full of evening gowns that her mother made. Oh, yes. And the best part is she was like, what do I bring? Like, what do I wear? And her mother made all these evening gowns. And she was like, this is all you'll need. And that really was all she needed. Wow. So Jerry's about 17 at this point. Wow. She flies to France no plans, doesn't know anyone, just a girl on an adventure. Best way to go to France. Well, it certainly was for her. When she got there, she was told the French Riviera was the place to be. So she went, she set off for the beach. Now, I don't know if this is folklore or truth, but apparently on her first day there, she's lying in the sun and a man approached her and asked, are you a model? This man happened to run an agency and offered Jerry a place to stay with other models he represented, and that was that. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Within a week, she's going on go-sees. She's staying in an apartment with other models. We discussed this a little bit in Grace Jones' episode because they were roommates for a while yeah. and party buddies back then when they were both working in Paris. So obviously, this was a very special time in fashion and that whole scene. And right away, like right away, Jerry's meeting all these big celebrities, having dinner with people like Salvador Dali, Simone de Beauvoir, Jean-Paul Sartre, just incredible people. She says that her youth and her Amazonian body and that loud southern drawl that she had really attracted attention everywhere she went and people like loved being around her. She was just a character. Mm -hmm. Soon after she got there, she met her first boyfriend. His name was Antonio. He was a fashion illustrator and knew a lot of people in the industry. So it was actually through him that Jerry landed her first big photo gig. And it happened to be with Helmut Newton for Photo Magazine. So again, right out the gate, Jerry's making photos with some of the top fashion photographers out there. Wow. From that, she worked with him again for both the French and American Vogue. And her career just took off just like that. Suddenly, she was on all these covers of magazines. She was getting recognized when she went out places. So she's just like living it up. 
She moved in with Antonio. She was working every day, partying every night. This went on for about a year and a half in Paris before she decided she wanted to break down the doors in New York. So in late 1974, she signed with Eileen Ford, the Ford agency, and she actually moved in with Eileen and her husband. Apparently, Eileen did that for up-and-coming models sometimes. So she lived with them for about six months and was working hard, but she had a 12 a.m. curfew, and that obviously wasn't for her being young and beautiful and wanting to party. And, yeah. you know, She got her own place with another model girlfriend, and that was that. That was that. It's around this time that Jerry first encounters Mick. This was at a party. She says she noticed this man sitting alone at a window and went over to chat with him. But apparently, I, I don't know what she said. She doesn't say it. But she said something kind of rude to him, and he didn't take it well, and he kind of stomped off. So it wasn't actually until after he stormed away that someone came up to her and was like, oh, my God, that was Mick Jagger. Like, she didn't even recognize him at the time. It just wasn't quite their time yet. But that's because another musician is about to enter her life first. Mm, okay. She did this very sexy Vogue photo shoot, and from that, she got hired to model for the cover shot of Roxy Music's Ah, next album. Okay. Yeah. So that album was called Siren. So Brian Ferry actually saw her photos and knew right away, like, this is the woman for the cover. When they were going to shoot that photo, Brian actually picked her up at the airport, brought her to the photo shoot. He was there for the whole photo shoot. Obviously, there was just chemistry the whole time. And after the shoot was done, Jerry was going to go back to her hotel. But Brian was like, I have a guest room. Why don't you just stay at my place? She ended up staying there a few days before heading back to New York. They kept in touch. They would write letters. He asked if she would spend Christmas with him that year and go on a trip to the Caribbean. And she was like, hell yeah. So this is interesting. In the book, immediately there's some red flags happening. But in the moment, of course, you're young. You're being swept off your feet. You sometimes just don't see or don't want to see these red flags, right? Mm -hmm. So in the book, Jerry mentions a night on their trip. They're hanging out with Brian's friends, some locals too, drinking, having fun. And it just so happened that it somehow came up that she was a champion leg wrestler. Okay. So she decided to give a demonstration and she was also, you know, being fun and like making fun of the Texan slang and, you know, she's laughing, having fun. She's making everyone else laugh except Brian. He was not amused. He made a big deal later about how she embarrassed him in front of all his friends. They got into a fight. She was crying. She told him, like, you can't tell me what to do. And to this reply, he said, marry me. Oh, God. Yeah. So kind of like a challenge, right? I can't tell you what to do. Well, marry me. What are you going to do? And she said yes. And that's how they got engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, being four margaritas in and challenging everyone to leg wrestling competitions sounds something like exactly like I would do. It sounds like the most fun night ever. Yeah. So was he like the kind of guy that just like he would have preferred her to just be like sitting and like like quiet and, you know, laughing at his jokes as opposed to being the one that was the entertainer? Like, I guess if Brian Ferry feels like he's the ultimate entertainer, then having someone take that place is like, you know, he's jealous. He's um, one of those. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. And that would continue. She also says that the leg wrestling thing was forever a sore spot in their relationship. Like, it couldn't be mentioned. She couldn't do it. But I'll throw this in here now. She mentions that Mick and her constantly leg wrestle. He loves it. She pulled that on him. It worked. And, like, apparently that's, like, a thing that they would do throughout their entire relationship. So Yeah, of course. They both have those legs. Yeah, they do. Jerry moves to London to be with Brian. And again, like we said, red flags. This is a quote from Jerry. Part of him liked it that I was a model. He thought I was glamorous and funny. And then there's this other side of him that wanted a wholesome, aristocratic country life and wanted me to be a different kind of girl. 
He was always really sweet, but I think he was afraid that I was going to be too ambitious and that I was going to go off and do my career and not stay with him. Basically, he wants the glamazon when he wants the glamazon and the housewife when he wants the housewife, right? Mm -hmm. There's also a messed up quote in the book here where she says that Mick always said of Brian in their relationship that Brian, and I'm quoting, trained her halfway. Meaning, like, he took some of the party girl out of her, mm -hmm. but the word trained is, like, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, man, that's, oof. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Ooh, trained, yeah. ooh. It's a dirty word. You're not, you're not a dog. Nope. Like, we, women don't need training. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's issues there that are arising, but she's not really focused on it because her career is still taking off. She's working nonstop. She made a new best friend with a fellow model named Marie Helvin, who was David Bailey's later muse and wife after Jean Shrimpton. Okay. And if anyone's listening that hasn't checked it out, we do have an episode on Jean and Chrissy Shrimpton. That one was so, so much fun. I love that episode. Me too. But this Marie Helvin girl, there was a time when the two women, both of them were on Vogue for like a year. Like one month it would be Marie, one month it would be Jerry, one month it would be Marie. And the papers, like tabloids and everything, loved them. They were actually dubbed the terrible twins. They would go to dinner and party and everything. Just tons of photos would be taken of them. I actually looked Marie up and apparently they had like a falling out after Jerry had kids because Marie didn't. And Marie says that it was like Jerry wanted her to be a mother or like could only be around mothers and stuff. So I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. But at this point, Jerry's not ready to settle into the housewife world. But Fairy was constantly getting upset every time she would go out with Marie or go out. Like, anytime she drank and had some fun, Brian had an issue with it. They thought maybe a change of scenery would help things. So the pair moved to L.A. for a while. She wanted to be in the States, actually, because her family was there. And at this point, her dad was dying of lymph cancer. The last year of his life, she says... He really became a different person, and she uses the word nice. He became a nice person. She was able to get some closure there. She had some good moments before he passed away. Though he was still a total asshole, though, apparently he purposely got rid of his life insurance right before he died because he didn't want Jerry's mom to have other men come into the picture and like take oh, his place. That sounds place. like a really nice thing to do. That sounds really nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ugh. He hadn't passed away quite just yet. He had a couple, like a year or two left. We'll get to that. But she's seeing more of her family at this point. Her sisters would come visit all the time. If you look up her sisters, I'll show you because I have the book right here. But all, of course, all of her sisters are just as gorgeous as she is. And like they all could be models. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's like my sister-in-law. She has three sisters. And they're all stunning. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. They all got that face and those legs and, yeah. Those eyes, Good genes those cheekbones. Cherry mentions Brian came to visit her family and was basically a snob the whole time. Not really a good sport. Had a problem with the food, a problem with the lifestyle, and no problem showing that he had a problem. Mm -hmm. Right? So I mentioned Jerry was on the cover of Siren. But that wasn't their only professional collaboration. She was also in several music videos, including Let's Stick Together, which she was a muse for. That song is about her. And when Brian played it for the first time on tour, she came out on stage and performed it with him. Jerry and the audience both ate it up. And everyone afterwards was like, Brian, you got to bring Jerry out more. And mm, Brian not, did not mm -hmm. like that. He wouldn't. So, yeah, that was the last time that they would do anything like that together. He really wanted all the attention on him. But Jerry loved being up there. And she would go out on all of his tours. She toured with him a bunch of times. So at this point, yeah, things are getting rocky. Things are pretty rocky in this relationship. Then, out of the blue, Jerry and Brian get an invite from Mick Jagger to see the Stones perform and have dinner yes. after. So this is the summer of 76. Oh, remember the summer of 76. Jerry's 20. Oh, being 20 in the summer of 76. <laughs> yeah. Right? So I'm going to quote Jerry here again. 
That first night after we went out to dinner, we all got into the limo, and that's when Mick really got me. He pressed his knee next to mine, and I could feel the electricity. I kept saying to myself, calm down, you're engaged. Mick ends up back at their place, endlessly flirting with Jerry in front of Brian to the point where Brian storms off, goes to bed. She says Mick tried to kiss her before leaving, but she wouldn't let him. Brian, of course, was pissed the next day. And anytime they were back in London, Mick would call, but Brian knew like he wanted Jerry, so he refused to ever hang out with them again. He didn't want to witness that and be a third wheel with their flirtation. So that was just another strain on the relationship. But what Brian decided to do next, I feel, really kind of sealed their fate as a couple. He was about to go on a two-month tour. And like I said, Jerry would always go on tour with him. But this time he was like, nope, you can't come on tour. And not only that, they would not be speaking at all the whole time because Brian, a rich rock star, did not want to pay for long distance phone calls to talk to her. What an idiot. What do you expect? So with Brian gone, Jerry decides, I'm going to go back to New York. I'm going to hang out with my friends. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to work. So now it's May 21st, 1977. She remembers the date clearly. Her friend invites her out to dinner. She didn't know who was going. Some other awesome people were there. Another famous 60 model, Penelope Tree, her boyfriend. Two other bachelors, Mick Jagger. And can you guess what 60s, 70s playboy? Warren Beatty. You got it. <laughs> Like, all you had to say, which other bachelor do you think was there? I wouldn't guess one, I just love seeing his name in literally every book we read for this podcast. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, I love it. I still think we need to make merch. Something about Warren Beatty. Yeah. We should. <laughs> so, yes, she didn't know until later that Mick set this up, of course. But she's between Warren and Mick, and both Warren and Mick are, like, fighting, fighting for her attention. Finally, Mick comes up with a genius idea. He took Warren over to the phones and was like, let me call you a bunch of other women to come. So that's what Mick did. So Warren had plenty of other girls to talk to, whatever, and Mick just set his attention on Jerry. They all go to Studio 54. They're having fun. They leave. She says about 5 a.m. they get to Mick's place, and he invites her up for tea. Jerry was with Brian still, and very resistant at first, but you're with Mick Jagger. Your boyfriend's not being the best boyfriend. He wore her down. She does talk about, you know, having some guilt about how it all went down. She slept with him, of course. She immediately left after. She swore to herself she wouldn't see him again. But, of course, by the afternoon, Mick was sending her flowers, and she was back in bed with him that night. So they started secretly seeing each other, and she had this rule at first, only every other day, because every day was too serious, but every other Casual. day. Casual. Yeah. Then a major thing happened. This is when her father passed away. Brian was on tour. She kept trying to get a hold of him to no avail. She sent word through his people. He didn't call. Finally, she got a letter from him saying he was sorry he couldn't call, but he was traveling a lot and he missed her. Him not being there for her was a huge blow, but Mick was. They were getting really close, and finally the time came when Brian's tour was over and Jerry had to face him. She says she like really did love both of them at this point and was very confused and she was like really sad to say bye to Mick, but also like actually happy to see Brian. So she's just messed up. I'm not sure exactly of how long the timeline is, but I believe a couple months of her kind of going back and forth, unsure of what to do. You know, she would want to be with Mick and then she would want to be with Brian. Of course, at this point, Mick's getting frustrated she doesn't want to hurt Brian. She doesn't know how to tell him. So she just kind of keeps lying and being in that middle ground. Like Again, she's 20, 21. I, I get how confusing and 
two beautiful rock stars. Oh my goodness. What a what a problem. What a problem. So Mick asked her to go on a trip with him. So she lied and told Brian she was going on a modeling gig. They go off to Morocco. They're having a time. But she's calling Brian and like lying to him completely. Like, oh, I'm working, blah, blah, blah. But what she didn't know at the time was that the press had been alerted to their vacation. And it was already in the papers that her and Mick were down there. So that's how Brian found out was like through the press. I like kind of love that. He confronted her about it on the phone. They cried about it. They separated. So that was finally the end of that relationship. Not the best way to end it, but now she's focused on Mick. And they were both pretty seriously committed right away. Within a year, they were looking for a home together. He still had property that he bought, a place called Star Groves, I believe, when he was with Marianne and they went there because he was going to sell it and they were collecting his things and everything. And Jerry found a box of love letters that Marianne wrote him. And she asked if she could read them. And Mick said she could. There's a little piece in the book. I just want to read it because I really liked it about Marianne. Oh, okay. There was an old chest that hadn't been opened in 10 years. It was full of Mick's love letters from Marianne Faithful. He let me read them. From what he said, I think of all the girlfriends he had, he loved her the most. So I felt a bit of jealousy. I couldn't help it. I never felt jealous of his other girlfriends. But I was glad that it was Marianne he loved most because she was so nice. I've met her a few times since then, and she's a great girl. I think he was 21 then when they got together, and together they so easily climbed into the social world. It was the first time in England when there was no sort of class thing. People were accepted for what they did. And they were the couple of the era. She got him into the world of experimenting with sex and drugs. Even though she was this angelic kind of girl, she'd come from a convent school and everything. She was very adventurous. She was doing Shakespeare plays and she got Mick into the world of acting. He said she showed him a whole new way of life. Everything he's told me about her makes me like her a lot. Even some of the bad stories, like about the drugs, I could see how that happened to them. They were so young, and the press and the media went crazy on them, and they just weren't strong enough to keep it together. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I thought that was really nice. And yeah, I totally get the jealousy thing, but also, like, it is nice when... Especially, like she said, Marianne was amused to Mick. She opened up his world in ways that Jerry would later profit off of. Sure. So, yeah, I just wanted to put oh, that Oh, that in. was great. Like, yeah, if you're going to choose something to read out of the book, that's such a great thing is a current girlfriend saying nice things about an ex-girlfriend. And we all love Marianne we do. here. So. <laughs> in the book, she talks about them becoming a couple and how that affected her career. Even though she was already incredibly successful, suddenly in the press, of course, she was Mick Jagger's girlfriend. And she'd book gigs for things like runway or press conferences, and they'd be playing the Stones music when she would come out. People were profiting off of their relationship, basically. But she was a good sport about it. She also used it to her advantage. She she realized that was something she could harness herself and use. She also mentioned something that we talk about in certain episodes of the past, lots of times with the Beatles, where... After she became Mick Jagger's girlfriend, suddenly fans were, like, grabby or vicious to her. There's a few stories of them, you know, walking down the street and people just... Pulling her hair. Going nuts on them. Yeah, yeah. She also used to really love going out into the audience when she went on Stones tours to kind of see the fan perspective. But that would get scary sometimes, too, if people, like, fans noticed her. One Stone fan, when she was on tour with them, like out in the audience, tried to set her hair on fire. Yeah, I knew they would do something with her hair. Yeah, yeah of yeah. course. The, Some people may be curious about Jerry and the Stones and the drug intake at the time. Jerry was not big on drugs. There's a part in the book, uh, it's funny and terrible at the same time, where she recalls a trip that they took to Bali and they were invited to take mushrooms and they did, and she says, like, an hour or so passed, and they didn't feel anything. So no. they, like, left. Yep. They left. They went back to their hotel. They had an event that night. So they got dressed, all dressed up, go to this event. 
they're seated right in front of the stage and she realizes like, oh God, oh dear God, no. And long story short, she ends up puking her guts in the closest potted <laughs> plants that she could find. Just imagining this like glamazon woman in like this amazing dress, like puking Probably all over mushrooms. the place. Yeah. Puking everywhere. And Mick also like messed up had to like pick her up kind of and like carry her back to the hotel and they walked along the beach and there was crabs like biting their feet and shit it was just like a literally like a horrific nightmare of a trip and it doesn't sound like mushrooms though mushrooms are like usually pretty gentle right yeah but i guess maybe they're like i you know if you're not used to it also it just i guess didn't agree with her stomach which sure. sucks yeah. She said that, like, hearing old Rolling Stones stories about the 60s and, you know, sex and drugs, she always kind of felt like she missed out on something. But, like, after this experience, she was like, I'm glad I wasn't around for the drug thing because that's not for me. <laughs> yeah. Also, I believe Mick Jagger was dabbling in heroin at the time, and she kind of helped get him off of that. She also, I mean, she didn't help, but she was also around when Keith Richards was getting off heroin at the time. I'm going to read part of that in the book as well, because I thought it would interest people. She says that he got off heroin on their couch. He never went to the bedroom once. I think the couch made him feel normal. He was lying there with these things that look like headphones. He'd gone to some clinic where they'd given them to him. They had clips that hook to your earlobes. They were attached to a little machine that makes this vibration and people use them to get off heroin. At first, it makes them completely out of it. I don't know if Keith even remembers this, but for a few weeks, he was just lying there. Mick and I would feed him. Every time the clips would fall off, he'd hook them back on. Then we'd cover him up in a blanket at night. It must have been so painful. He just slept and slept all the time. He lost a lot of weight and when he got up, he'd be weak. And then he started getting better. You know the feeling you have when you have a child and watch him grow? That's how Mick and I felt about Keith. We were like, look, he's having a bath. Did you see what he was doing today? So much better. So apparently, yeah, it took him like a month on their couch at, at this point. I don't know if he got back on heroin after that or not, but yeah, I thought... You're, you're not here to name three times Keith was on yeah. heroin. Yes. But I just thought that was interesting. Like, at the time, these clips, like, just weird methods of getting off drugs that I never really heard of before. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, she really did see how drugs could damage people, and she really tried to stay away from them. She doesn't talk about cocaine in the book, but, I mean, she was of that era, and she does call herself a try-anything-once type of person. So I'm sure, she, you know, they probably partook here and there. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I... I like that, a try-anything-once person. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, me too. There's another part in the book that I wanted to read. Please do. I am living right now. She attended Eric Clapton and Patty Boyd's wedding. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is her talking about their wedding. It was outside of London in this big house in the country. The girl he married, Patty Boyd, was a big model in the 60s. Everybody from English rock and roll was there. George Harrison, Paul McCartney was with Linda and their children. Ringo Starr was there with his first wife. Mm. Pete Townsend, Roger Daltrey, all the Stones, Rod Stewart, Elton John, just about anyone you can name. It started off at lunchtime, and it was really sunny and warm. Everyone had on spring clothes. I don't care what you wore. <laughs> um... Everybody was drinking and dancing, and this went on into the night. Then the band set up. Everyone joined in. All the guitar players, all the drummers, everybody. Mick sang with Paul. All the musicians from the different bands got together and played together. They mostly did old rhythm and blues. And, of course, all the girls were thrilled. They were saying, isn't this fantastic? Wouldn't the world love to see all this, this private concert? They were just in heaven. Oh, amazing. Yeah, we would right? like to see that. Yes, we would like to be a fly on the wall, a guest at that wedding. And please do not edit out the part where you say you don't care what everybody was wearing. <laughs> <'cause that> was <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> Just 
<laughs> under your breath. Um, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I think, yeah, Ugh. probably the wedding party itself was better than the marriage. Oh, for sure. Speaking of, you know, rocky relationships, one thing I was never aware of was that Jerry and Mick, at this point in their relationship, both were cheating on each other. Already. Already. Yeah. All right. Yeah. They were both working, traveling. Jerry would see in the papers, like, Mick with some girl at a club and all of that. She says that maybe he was feeling scared of the intensity of their relationship and kind of losing that rock and roll lifestyle. So he was kind of doing things to cling to that. And Jerry purposely was like, well, I'm going to get back at you for cheating on me. And so she ended up having an affair with a man named Robert Sangster. He was a horse breeder. Okay. Yes. She's very big into horses. Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. She's like, I'm not sure how the tabloids found out, but it got in the tabloids. I'm like, you probably put that because she purposely wanted Mick to know. Tale as old as time. But the thing is, it worked. Yeah. Mick came running back crying. They had a, a rocky thing. They split for a little bit, but then they both committed back into the relationship. And that was that. Okay. But yeah, she like purposely set out to like get back at him and like get him back. She really made sure of their relationship being solidified by becoming a mother in 1984. So their first child, Elizabeth Jagger, that's when she was born. She says in the book that it was the first time in her relationship with Mick that she felt totally secure in it, which again is... As someone who does not want kids and who is in a relationship, I'm like, mm. <laughs> Yeah. Also, dads cheat too, just saying. Yeah. So this is actually where her book Tall Tale ends with Elizabeth being born. Okay. I'm just going to kind of fill in from here. Thank you. You're thank welcome. you. Thank you for your service. You're most welcome. She had three other children with Mick after James in 1985, Georgia May in 1992, and Gabriel in 1997. Georgia May is only 1992. Yeah. She's younger than us? Oh, yeah. Damn it. Yeah. I mean, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, it's that's cool. But Georgia May, would you say she's like she's like the perfect combination of the two? Absolutely. And like out of any rock star daughter, she's like probably the ultimate model. You know, I like, uh, yeah. And she also has this like Bardot thing about her. Mm. It's like Mick and Jerry created a modern Bardot. It's she's stunning. Yeah. So yes, we know that Georgia and and Elizabeth both have modeled in the past. James became an actor. He was in that series Vinyl. He played the Richard Howell character. And I've looked him up and he's kind of doing these random things here and there. And their youngest son, Gabriel Luke, he recently married a Swiss socialite and founded a media company called Why Now a few years ago. So he's doing pretty well for himself too. Cool. Um, is he the one that... Like, posts pictures of Mick Jagger and just, like, very dad posts. Like. Maybe. Mick has one son. I don't know which son and with who. But uh, he just posts very, like, you know, dad posts. Like, this is my dad leaning up against this railing wearing, like, a tracksuit. I'm going to guess it's him because he seems like the most down-to-earth, not, like, as public, like, you know, Georgia and Elizabeth are type of thing. Yeah. Back to Jerry now, though. So career-wise, one thing Jerry had always wanted to do in her career is act. So in the 80s, she had a few walk-on type of roles. I think many people of our generation would remember her Batman appearance. Oh, yeah. But her first role was actually in a movie called Urban Cowboy, which starred John Travolta. Her part was created for her after she met the filmmakers, and her sister is actually in it as well. Her heavy Texan accent usually kind of prevented her from getting roles, but in this case, it worked perfectly. She said that she always really wanted to be a, a comedian. If you look at her IMDb page, she's worked here and there doing random stuff. But what interested me most was I discovered that in 1988, she made her stage debut in Bus Stop, playing the role that Marilyn Monroe did in the film. Oh, okay. 
She reprised that in 1990, and in the early 2000s, she played Mrs. Robertson in the Broadway production of The Graduate. Oh. I've never seen The Graduate. No way. It it's so good. It's so good. You should see yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. It's great. Yeah. And the Mrs. Robinson character, like, perfect for Jerry at this point in her life as well. That's with Dennis Hoffman? Dustin Hoffman? Yes. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman? Dustin. Dustin. I think, yes. <laughs> I think what prevented me from seeing that movie is I just, like, I guess just Dustin Hoffman doesn't do it for me. I hear you, but he's a good actor, and Anne Bancroft as Mrs. Robinson is, like, phenomenal. And it's really cool to see this, like, take charge, sexual, older, I mean, she's not old, but older woman just seducing this younger man. Okay, it's my next movie. I'm going to watch it. I'm, I'm going to watch it, and I'm going to crochet something real nice. <laughs> So, yeah, she did the Broadway production of The Graduate, and I believe she also toured the UK and Australia with it. Like, it was very successful. And in 2004, she actually was presented with a Guinness World Record because she made the most musical appearances in one night. I'm going to read this from an article I got because it's just so wild. At 7.40 p.m., the model-slash-actress kicked off her tour at Her Majesty's Theatre, where she had a five-minute role as a bidder in Andrew Lloyd Webber's The Phantom of the Opera. Clad in a black coat, she then headed to the nearby Palace Theatre to play a sailor-smooching prostitute in Les Miserables, before making a mad dash to the Aldwych Theatre to portray a teacher in fame. After a quick change, Hall rode a taxi bike to the phoenix theater where she played a housewife in blood brothers at 9 24 she high kicked with the cast of anything goes at the theater royale dury lane and finally completed her hair raising mission at the london paladin theater for chitty chitty bang bang at 10 10 chitty chitty bang bang at 10 10 okay okay did they purposely like we're setting this up so you can get a guinness world record or it just kept like just you know, it's just another Saturday night. I I would love to know because, yeah, that just sounds crazy. Imagine, like, having to run around making sure, like, all the timing is right. And, I like that it wasn't and like, it, a taxi. It was, like, a taxi bike. <laughs> yeah, wild. So, yeah, she won a Guinness World Record for that, Amazing. which good for her. Jerry has also tried her hand at reality TV with her show Kept. I remember I watched that when it aired. Did you? Yeah, I watched it like it was on cable and I would sit and I'd be like, I'm into this. Yeah. It was pretty early in terms of how, real how far reality TV went. Yeah. It sounds amazingly cringeworthy and I would desperately want to watch it now. From what I remember is the reality show is like the bachelorette before the bachelorette existed so it's jerry and a whole bunch of men but the thing is it's like not men her age it's younger men who are like go through a series of challenges like etiquette challenges and whatnot and it's basically seeing like what guy can win jerry's affections and also be okay with being like a kept man wild i love it and it's so jerry hall like that's that's great well i mean you were saying that she like wanted to be a comedian like you've got to have some kind of sense of humor for sure for sure and it's yeah i also think it's interesting because if she was in her 20s when she was with mick jagger it's interesting then she becomes a little bit older and now she's going for the younger guys which i always think is a great power move i love i love an older woman younger man situation Exactly. And yeah, playing Mrs. Robinson, same kind of thing, mm -hmm. like the seductress older woman, you know. So let's just go back to personal life before we kind of close up here. In the book, she mentions how she really did want to marry Mick. And in 1990, a Hindu ceremony was held in Bali. However, when Mick and Jerry ended up splitting in 1999, the marriage was declared null and void by both Indonesian and English law. So they were technically like never legally married, but they did have the ceremony in 1990. I love that. It's committing without really committing. 
Well, the interesting thing is Jerry didn't even know this oh. until she tried to divorce him and was like, You're like, don't worry uh, about it. You guys what? are good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's rumored that Mick and Jerry had another slight split in the 90s with Mick Jagger's infidelities being the issues. The issue? Apparently, Jagger had a fling with Carla Bruni. And if people are unaware of that name, she's a model who became the first lady of France. Oh, right. Apparently, Jerry confirmed it with reporters, but Bruni has never, I don't think, ever admitted it publicly. But the interesting thing here is Carla Bruni at that time was dating Eric Clapton. I don't understand how so many women we talk about dated Eric Clapton. Either. Like, what What the hell? I guess it's like you had what to the be hell? there kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane how many women we talk about on this podcast that dated him. But apparently Mick's affair with Bruni overlapped her time with Clapton, and that caused Clapton some heartache because he was like in love with her or something yeah so they obviously got past this but the final straw came with another one of mick's infidelities in 1999 it was reported that a model named luciana morad was carrying one of mick's children she was this was mick jagger's seventh child he is a boy named lucas for those curious jagger has eight kids now with the last one being born in 2016 Yeah. This is a quote from Jerry. Mick was a dangerous sexual predator. And although I loved him and he swore undying love for me, I felt very unsure of him. I had weaned him off drugs, but they had been replaced by sex. And by the time we had children, I would read about Mick's dalliances in the newspapers. So again, dads dads can cheat. So it's no surprise that since splitting with Mick, she was known to to date these wealthy tycoons and businessmen types. I'm not going to get into them all. But in 2015, she got together with evil, evil billionaire Rupert Murdoch. I forgot about that. Yeah. People didn't. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the hugest things that people would comment on like you know we never get a lot of trolley comments but anytime like a jerry hall post would go up someone would always have something to say about her relationship with rupert murdoch well i mean he is one of the most evil men alive just saying oh yeah no no i'm not saying that like and they shouldn't be commenting it's just yes yes people are passionate about that she married him in 2016 And if anyone doesn't know who Rupert Murdoch is, you can look him up, but he's just a media tycoon. He's owned many different news sources, including Fox News, so need I say more? His net worth is about $22.4 billion. He's about to turn 91, making him 25 years older than Jerry. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, Jerry's still living the good life. Apparently, they're enjoying a kind of retirement you can find tabloid photos of them going out to fancy dinners and traveling and all that. So she seems happy. And I saw a quote from Georgia, her daughter, um, saying that she approved of their relationship and her mom's very happy and all of that. So hopefully she's happy with her life choices and is, you know, enjoying her time with him. I, I would know. also <laughs> probably approve of my mom's relationship with a 91-year-old billionaire. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Especially when you don't Kate's have to be expensive. around. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Daddy Murdoch. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. <laughs> yeah. So that's Jerry's story. Oh, that was great. That was so good. That was so good. That was so good. I love it. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see the carousel of photos that you choose when you post this episode. Uh, there's so many good ones of Jerry. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. And Mick and and her with Brian Ferry, too. Like, uh, yeah, that's going to be it's going to be hard to limit it to 10. Mm-hmm. But someone's got to do it. So. Well, that was wonderful. <laughs> I'm glad that you got your hands on that book. And I think this is a great um 
episode to come back with. And honestly, Lynx, I'm glad that you took some time and some space that you needed. Things are really, really tough right now for absolutely everybody. And um, I think everybody will be so happy to have you and hopefully us back. And, um, but also be super like understanding that when you need some space, like you got to take it because then you come back stronger and you come back refreshed and inspired and yeah it's like that was a great episode thank you it's like you said earlier where I I needed to take a break and my creative energy just like I wasn't feeling it I was dealing with other stuff and when I started reading Jerry and started you know typing out my research and everything like immediately it came back to me and I was like, oh my God, yes, I do love this. This isn't like stressful or, but if I had done it two months ago, it would have been like very difficult. Totally. So I waited for the right moment and I do feel very happy getting back into it. And I've got my next book figured out. I'm going to do like a jazz legend because I haven't done. Oh, you were sending me screenshots already. Like it's, it looks yes. great. If you want to join and hear that story, I'm more I than do, welcome. I do, and it's like, you know, maybe once the spring comes, I'll pick a little book and I'll tell you a story. I would love that. Absolutely, yes. And I have some other good things coming up. I think I'm – I used to be biweekly. I think we're going to do every three weeks now just because life is busy. Mm-hmm. So I hope everyone sticks with the show and – I hope you all enjoyed that. I hope everyone is getting through the winter and yeah, just getting through the t- life right now is it's it's difficult. No one no one has it easy right now. So except I hope for everyone, Rupert Murdoch, ex- except for Rupert Murdoch and Jerry Hall. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Shanti, for joining me. My uh, pleasure. Always just so happy to see your face. So. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. See you soon. Muses is researched, edited, and produced by Lynx O'Leary. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.